Welcome to the GB News Real Me podcast. I'm Gloria DiPiero. Now, we all have views on politics and politicians, but aside from the spin and the knockabout, who are they? What makes them tick? What's their life story? And why have they chosen a life in politics? That's what the Real Me podcast is all about. We hope you enjoy a very different type of political interview. Joining me in this episode is Colonel Bob Stewart, the Conservative MP for Beckenham since 2010. A former British Army officer and United Nations commander in Bosnia, Bob boasts an impressive parliamentary portfolio, currently sitting on the House of Commons Select Committee on Northern Ireland. I asked Bob whether he was born into the Conservative Party or whether it was a conscious decision. I didn't really vote Conservative until I was over 18, but... The answer to the question is, were my parents Conservatives? The answer is yes. So I suppose in that way, I was born into a Conservative kind of background. You've always voted Conservative? When I voted in the army, often I was abroad and I didn't really get round to it. But the answer is, when I voted, yes. You were commanding officer for a period in Northern Ireland and also in Bosnia. What is your most memorable experience from commanding our troops, first of all, in Northern Ireland? Well, I wasn't commanding officer when the Balakeli bomb went off on the 6th of December, 1982, but it was the most traumatic experience of my life when I was 32 years old, and 17 people were killed. Six of them were my soldiers. 35 of my company of 120 were wounded. And I was the incident commander, and a girl died in my arms. She was 18, and she'd lost both legs and an an arm. And I spoke to her when I found her, because I was there very quickly. When I found her on the ground, she was bleeding excessively. Her boyfriend had run off. And I spoke to her, and I said something trite like, are you all right, darling? I was 32. I discovered she was 18. She said, I think so. And I spoke to her and I said, are you all right again? She said, what's happened? I said, there's been a bomb. She said, oh, am I hurt? And I said, you are a bit. She said, am I badly hurt? And I said, yes. She said, am I going to die? And I said, I think so. She said, will you hold me? And I held her as she died. So if I can't think of anything more traumatic than that in my life than that actual incident. But there were others not far off that. How do you deal with a trauma like that? What are the after effects of that? Do you have flashbacks for a period of time? Do you still have flashbacks now about that? that? My mother was a northern girl, which you might understand, and she said I'd never die with water on the brain. What she meant was I blub. And I think weeping is something that releases pressure. And after that girl died, I was impossible for about 10, 15 minutes because I was crying. But then I was the incident commander, so I had to pull myself together because it wasn't just her. It was a huge number of other people that were hurt. But what really impacted me was the youth of this girl that had died, and I'd been there. So um, the answer is, I don't get flashbacks. I don't not sleep because of it but I remember all the time, all the time. 
it's interesting that you talk about you cried, mm. which is which is a well, understandable, normal reaction. Are there are there lots of tears at your level or at any level? Oh, well, of course, there are. It's hidden. Part of the you know my generation, because I am a generation least above you. At least, uh, <laughs> um, you know, we didn't show emotion much. My father did not show emotion much. But my father had a, was a soldier, had a military cross, two mentions in dispatches, and lost a lot of men um, in, in Aden, actually in the 50s. My mother told me that he used to cry at night. This may well be what they now call post-traumatic stress disorder. It may well not be. Do I cry? I still cry when I think of things. But I try and hide it because I don't think it's appropriate. Thank you, but I didn't expect you to be so open. We were on the same corridor and what- We were, we had fun, we didn't MPs, we? We were MPs, we were elected at the same time. Mm. And I don't think many people would expect you to be open about your own emotions and feelings. And I think that's really helpful. Mm. So thank you. Um, your most memorable moment from commanding our troops in Bosnia. Coming out of Bosnia, and looking across the plains and seeing all my armoured vehicles spread out in lines, and there were something like 150 of them across a plain, and I just thought, life can't get better than this, being in charge of an armoured infantry regiment, moving out, having achieved what we did. We went to Bosnia in 1992. People said thousands of people would die. Some did, but we saved a lot of people. For example, in April 1993, we pulled out about 2,000 women and boys and some old men from Srebrenica, which was some, some years before the massacre that occurred in July 1995. And we got them out of Srebrenica and um, we took some casualties going in to get them out. No one died on our part. Although when we went in, into um, Srebrenica, about 20 civilians were killed around us as we went in from Shelfar. In all your time serving our country, have you feared for your own life? I don't, well, to be honest, at one stage I didn't care because I just felt that I was there to do the right. Before I went to Bosnia, I spoke to my mother who was not do lally then, Towards the end of her life, she'd, she'd describe herself as being a bit doolally. And I said to my mum, I'm not sure I can take the casualties that I'm anticipated to take in Bosnia, which is about 25% uh, of my men. Out of 900, that's a lot. I said I'd lost so many men 10 years before. And my mother told me to get a grip. You know, remember your father. Of course you can. Sort yourself out. Um, you can do this job properly. Do not show any weakness on it. Go in there and do what the hell you can. And from that, I decided that I would actually be up front, in front, and actually, I wasn't given a mission for two, three months, but I decided my mission was to stop people dying, to save lives. And that is what we try to do. And if you have to save lives by taking lives, then sometimes you have to do that. And we did that too. Were you prepared to sacrifice your own life? 
Well, do you think people, of that? You know, you? Well, well, of course you did, because a soldier was a shot beside me, and you know, uh, and you know, I lost my, I lost my escort driver, Lance Corporal Wayne Edwards. He was killed, shot through the head. Um, you know, actually not at the time when I was with her, but Dabrilla Kalaba, my wonderful 29-year-old um, interpreter, was deliberately targeted because I'd taken her to the massacre of Armichi site and she'd been on the television and therefore she became a target and a Bosnian Croat sniper killed her on the 5th of July 1993 by shooting her. So the answer is you always think that it might happen, but you know, being a soldier, you have two thoughts. One, it might not happen to me. And two, the soldier's prayer, if it does, let it be a headshot. In other words, quick. You retire from the army in 1996, why? The army told me that my probably career was over. Um, that they, the military secretary said, um, you've offended people and up at the top by some of the actions you've taken in Bosnia and actually, you know, as well as that, I was getting divorced. Divorce was not a good thing in the army. So those two, you know, Blind Pew tapped his way down to the Admiral Benbow in Treasure Island terms. He had two black spots. One, I was getting divorced, and two, actually, I'd offended enough senior officers to stop me going further. So I thought, do I want to stay in the army, stay at the same level I am, and end up commanding some sort of lonely range in the Outer Hebrides at the age of 55? And I thought, no, I don't want to do that. Get out while I really am on top of the game, enjoying the army. I don't want to be bitter about it, and I'm not bitter about it. In 20, you work in public affairs, which I was surprised to read about you, yeah. but, but, but more... The only job I could get. You know, I tried very hard to get jobs. Everyone said I'd get a job easily, you know, with my high profile. That's not true at all. You know, I did actually have quite a good degree. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, I had written a lot. But I, I was quite surprised that it took me, you know, a great deal of effort to try and get a job. And the only job that I got offered was in public affairs. Gosh, this is extraordinary. Mm. It's, just... it's a fact. What would you have liked to have done when you left the army? I did consider teaching, actually. Right. Um, I thought teaching would be a good thing to do, because I got a degree. But um, in order to be a teacher, I had to do a year, mm. year's PGCE or That's something. Right. I didn't, I had a family and I couldn't actually just take a year off to do it, so that's, I had to have a salary. In 2010, you meet me. Mm. You are elected to Parliament. And we you had were... fun on that corridor, didn't we? <laughs> we did. Not too much fun, let's just make that clear. <laughs> In 2010, you become the MP for Beckenham. Mm. Why? Well, to be honest, I was actually toying with the idea of becoming a Member of Parliament for a long time. But it was, um, you know, two friends of mine who convinced me to do it. Um, uh, Geoffrey Patty, Sir Geoffrey Patty, who was a vice chairman of the Conservative Party, and Caroline Flynn, who they worked together. And they said, look, we've been telling you, have a crack, and we're going to suggest you do it. And I, I said, OK, 
all right, I'll have a crack. I've got nothing else to do at the moment. You know, I was working for myself and I did it. And I did the so-called um, candidates assessment board. I seemed to pass that. I thought it would just be a slam dunk. You know, you go along and say, I want to be a Tory MP. They say, you know, good sign here. And they say, no, it was quite a, quite a selection process, Gloria. I passed it and actually, um, in fairness, uh, I tried for a few constituencies yeah. and I got close in a few constituencies, like uh, North Highcombe was one. And, uh, you know, I was about to give up when I got a telephone call from uh, Tony Power, who's the uh, chairman of the Conservatives in Beckham. He said, uh, we selected you for the down to the last six for the Beckham constituency. And I was... I said, well, thank you very much. Really, really nice. I put the phone down, you know, and I asked my wife, where's Beckenham? She... <laughs> but I was there within two hours, yeah. uh, you know, because, you know, I, I, I didn't... Uh, but uh, in order to be the MP, I totally agreed. You have to live there. You have to guarantee to be a decent member of parliament. I hope I try that at least. And And actually, you have to guarantee to be there for a few terms, you know, not just yeah. not just one and then pack up. Lots of MPs, by the way, wouldn't be honest enough to say that when they get a nod for a seat that they don't know what it is. So I don't think there's anything unique in what you have said there, just your honesty in expressing it. Um, right, OK. In... Lots of people say that you're not very politically correct. Not I mean, politically correct. You're not politically correct. Bloody hope not. <laughs> <laughs> in 2016, you apologised to a female journalist for calling her Totty. Mm -hmm. Do you get why you had to apologise? Yeah, I get why I had to apologise. But to be honest, I felt quite hurt at the moment because I wasn't trying to be rude. You know, it was my generation. And I was actually thought she was a great girl. Not allowed to use the word girl anymore. Woman. Woman, okay? Girl, woman. It just shows. But I, I felt quite hurt that, that people would think... Um, and my wife actually spoke to the journalist in question and said, you know, you got that wrong. My husband would never be rude to a woman in his life. Never. And, you know, it, you, you, you broadcast that, you made him look a bit of a twit, and he isn't. In recent years, there's been lots of diversity courses in Parliament. Mm. Um, I think the political parties have some. Well, the, the, I know the Labour Party does, the Tory party mm. may do as well. I know the parliamentary authorities have sort of awareness co courses, valuing everyone. Um, have you been on one? Yeah, I've been on one. I felt it was a bit of a waste of time, to be honest. I mean, I've commanded 900 people in war men and women, I've felt that I do actually know how to talk to people, how to motivate them and how to be decent with them. And I've never, ever felt that I've honestly upset someone by political incorrectness. So I did feel that it was necessary, but I did it because I was asked to do it. Actually, I wasn't asked. They pleaded with me to do it. Who's they? Well, it was Jacob Rees-Mogg, actually. He said, for goodness sake, Bob, please do it. Just shut up and do it. I and did you it. did. And you did. Are you at home in the modern world? 
Colonel yeah, Bob I love the modern world. My worry is that it's, you know, I'm in my 70s, so I might not be in the modern world for very much longer. I hope I will, but, you know, of course I'm at home in the modern world. Um, I enjoy life. I enjoy being in... I particularly enjoy being in Parliament. I particularly enjoy people thinking that maybe he isn't quite just a plastic MP that actually does have feelings. He has got a backstory. He does actually say it as it is. But for the most part, I play the game. I sometimes vote with a long spoon, dining with a long spoon. And actually, I enjoy representing Beckenham, which is now my home and will be probably till I drop dead. I enjoy that. I enjoy particularly enjoy meeting people. Um, some people don't like that. I do. For example, you know, this weekend I've been at two ward events. I enjoy those as much as anything else. I enjoy speaking in the House of Commons and I enjoy being at, at ward events. And I enjoy the privilege of being a Member of Parliament. Colonel Bob Stewart, it's been a privilege to listen to you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to the GB News Real Me podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And you can join me every Monday to Thursday from midday live on GB News for The Briefing, your hour-long dose of political analysis. Thank you.